to be with God's people on the day of the Lord. And uh, it's just a blessing. And then the worship. You know, Pastor Brenton spends a lot of time praying and laying out the worship for us and the scripture readings that we have. And today, just a beautiful, beautiful uh, segment, a theme that arose out of all that of God loving the nations, God wanting to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that fits so beautifully with where we're going in our text today. Before we get into the text, and as Dan just read for us, it's chapter 11. But before we get there, uh, let me just quickly say, uh, remind you again of the midweek Bible study this Wednesday night. I don't know if you guys heard the, the time, but it's at 6.30 at the Church of Christ. We're excited about that. We are excited about the Easter season coming, Palm Sunday, and then Good Friday service, and then also Easter Sunday morning. And we're going to do everything we can to put chairs in every nook and cranny of this room. We're going to put them over on this side. We're going to put them over on this side. We're going to take the tables outside and put them all the way to the back. It have a little area for walking, but we just want to somehow keep everybody together in the same room for Easter. It's going to be a special day. And uh, the Good Friday service we're going to have over at the Church of Christ, and we have invited them to join us for Good Friday. Their pastor, Pastor Tracy, is going to uh, be there with us. We're going to have a wonderful time. So I hope that you'll come to the Good Friday service where we always partake in the Lord's Supper together uh, on two days prior to his uh, resurrection. I uh, also want to mention to you a couple things that are important, I think, as elders. We would like for you to know about this book. It's called Rediscover Church. Rediscover Church. One of the, it's two authors, Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman. Uh, we learned about what it means to be a biblical elder from books that were put out by Nine Marks, which is uh, out of uh, Mark Deaver's ministry. Mark is the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church uh, right in Washington, D.C., a, a solid, biblical, conservative church. And uh, one of the books that they have come alongside and put out is Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. Uh, when I read this, I said, this isn't just for the elders. This is for the volunteer leaders and for the body to read. So many people today are not going to church. Well, this book really lays out with great meaning the purpose and the essential reasons why we worship God in a local body. It was written, interestingly enough, after COVID, because we also saw a significant drop in attendance in many churches. I'm happy to say that's not been the case at Vero Bible Fellowship, but it is the case in many churches. And this book will just help you to realign and understand the reason for attending church. And so we've got copies of this in the back. I think we ordered 50 extra copies, and as they go, we'll order more and more. Uh, the book is basically, it's $8, and there's a box back there. If you can give $8, great. If you can't afford the 8 bucks, take a book anyway. And those of you who can afford to give a little more than 8 why don't you make a donation to cover somebody else's book? And let's just, uh, let's just give these out and see uh, that the body has an opportunity to be reminded why we are a local body, why the Scripture says don't forsake assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. So that's that. The last thing I'll say, and then we want to get into the Word, uh, is I was so moved two weeks ago at the, at the school board meeting, or three weeks ago at the school board meeting. They met again this past Monday, and they passed, obviously, some, some uh, uh, they, they put out this decree that they would allow... Uh, uh, books on critical race theory, books that are absolutely pornographic in the library system of the public schools in Indian River County. And we stood, we spoke against it, but the school board has chosen to go forward. And uh, so um, we've been, ever since then, I've been looking, Lord, raise up somebody who's a Christian who would serve on that board. On the, we need more Christians serving on the school board. Those who have, look, even if you're not a Christian, there are people who aren't Christian, but, they're, but they, are, they live a moral life. They are God-fearing. 
Uh, so I don't really, you know, I'd love to have Christians, but if, even if you're just God-fearing, where you see evil for what it is, we need more on the board. Well, there is a Christian man, his name is Gene Posca. He's a medical doctor, and uh, he is going to run. He's a candidate uh, for uh, the school board here locally. So we've got the petition, the candidate petitions in the back. If you would like to, uh, to fill out a petition so that he can be on the ballot and run for the school board. That's very important, that we have people representing our children who, have, who fear the Lord. Amen. That's all I'm going to say about all of that. And that's more than I normally say, because the focus of our time now is the Word, and it's the worship of God through the study of His Word. So take your Bible, if you will. We'll be in chapter 11. Chapter 11 bankruptcy. In the bankruptcy code, chapter 11 generally provides for reorganization usually involving a corporation or partnership. In borrowing this analogy, the point that God has made the past two chapters, 9 and 10, and here again in chapter 11, in chapter 10 he uses Peter in chapter 9, he uses Philip. Philip is sent to the Samaritans, who are half-breeds. They're half-Jewish and half-Gentile. In chapter 10, he sends Peter to the Gentiles. And in both chapters, while the church is in this state of burgeoning, God wants to make very clear that the church is not going to be a Jewish church. It is not going to be a church of one people group or one color or one language or one nation. That his church is going to be all people everywhere. Every name, every race, every nation, every tongue, every tribe will have opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved in the name of Jesus and be part of his family. And by the way, the primary theme for the remainder of the book of Acts, we've got 18 more chapters to go. The primary theme is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the, into the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. By the way, unless you're born a Jew, you are a Gentile. So aren't you glad that for the remainder of the book of Acts, he's talking about you and I being part of the family of God. Amen. While Peter preached to the first Gentile convert, God used Paul to establish the missional strategy for evangelizing the Gentile world. Today we're going to see just how exactly God intends for the church to function in this whacked out crazy world. By the way, we continue to pray for the people of Ukraine. We pray for salvation, we pray for protection, we pray for churches, we pray for church leaders who are putting their life on the line. In one sense, what this war is really about is good versus evil. We know that, that the church in Ukraine has freedom to meet. It will not be that way if it's under Russian control. They will have their state church. You will worship the way they tell you to worship. And so we have brothers and sisters who are in harm's way, who are staying, they're not leaving, they're staying to reach as many as they can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe God is with them and God is giving them favor and the church in Ukraine and in Russia is burgeoning. It's growing. Uh, Bill, Bill gave a report to a couple of us this morning when we were praying together and uh, shared how, Bill, stand up for a second. Tell the two stories that you heard, the miracles that have taken place. Amen. Amen. 
<laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Flying over Ukraine paratroopers to come in, and you end up back in Russia when you hit the ground. Amen. Our God goes before us. Now, that doesn't mean that bad things aren't happening there. They are every second of the day over there. People are losing lives. But I'm telling you, even in death, Christians win. We end up with the Lord, right? We go from this measly existence into the presence of Almighty God in the throne room of heaven. So we have much to be thankful for. And back in this day when Peter and Paul and Philip are walking this earth after Jesus has ascended, they, filled with the Holy Spirit, are going out and they're preaching and proclaiming Christ and people are being saved in mass number, so much so that by this time it does not record the accurate number of salvations, it just says many are being saved, multitudes are being saved. So what does this mean for Vero Bible Fellowship to hear the message of the last three chapters? And the message again is the inclusivity of Gentiles into the family of God. The message is clear. God loves all people of every race and every ethnicity. The gospel must be spread to every corner of the earth. There's no room, listen, there's no room for racism and there's no room for favoritism. Both are extreme ends, and both are wrong. Both are sinful. What does that mean for believers at Vero Bible Fellowship this morning? All such discrimination is inexcusable in this fellowship. We are not to walk in a way of the world and abandon what God has given us by his word. He is not pleased with racist acts. He is not pleased with favoritism and how we treat certain people better than other people. It, it, it really is inexcusable. You say, why? What makes it excusable? Well, the obvious, you know. But let me just take you a little deeper in understanding what's behind racism, and what's behind favoritism. They're both an obscenity because they actually, they're an offense to human dignity to treat anybody less than you. And then also they're blasphemy. They're not just an obscenity, they're blasphemy because it offends God who accepts all people, all people on equal footing at the base of the cross. For us to not accept everybody equally is to not allow the gospel to do its work and not to align our hearts with the heart of God for people. On the cross, Jesus covered all our sins, including both racism and favoritism. The love of God through the gospel shared by people who are consumed with his spirit will save people from every tongue, tribe, nation at this local fellowship, our little fellowship, should reflect God's heart towards all people without racial tension, without favoritism involved. We reach out to everybody. Why? Because everybody matters to God. Only a regenerate heart can understand what I'm saying right now. You have to be set free by Jesus Christ from your unregenerate state. Be saved by Christ. And in salvation, he, by the Holy Spirit, illuminates, opens your eyes to see the sin of racism, the sin of favoritism. And this is why God takes three chapters to expound on the history of the early church to remind us that the church is for everyone. Now, as we move into chapter 11, having been made bankrupt in our sins and alive in Christ, we once again see God driving the point home about the inclusion of of the Gentile world into his family, the church. After great success in Caesarea, in the house of Cornelius, Peter returns to Jerusalem, and as soon as he arrives, he runs into the Jewish colleagues who are sideways over the fact that he actually 
entered the house of a Gentile and ate with them. It was the circumcision party, your text says. Look, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Who were the uncircumcision party? A group of right-wing Jewish Christians known to be extremists, known to be rigorist, who questioned Peter about entering the home of the Gentiles and eating with them. The fact that they even knew about this event that took place in Caesarea tells you the significance of it. It made its way all the way back to Jerusalem before Peter could even arrive. They were already heated up and ready to question him and confront him. So Peter gives a response by explaining exactly what happened while he was on the rooftop in Joppa and the subsequent acts that took place in the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion in Caesarea. It is amazing to me, church, how prejudices get started in our lives. For some, you never chose to be prejudiced. You didn't come out of the womb and say, I think I'll be a racist. I think I'll be a bigot. But what happens is you are naturally, by the culture that you are raised in, you just fall into certain prejudices favoritism, even racism. But every one of us in this room came to an age of accountability where it was now upon us to decide what we would choose going forward. If you were a believer and when you became a believer and you read the scripture, you came into the awareness here in Acts that there's no place for racism, no place for favoritism. And you made a decision. I will go the way of the Lord on this. I will stand against my upbringing and the parts of my upbringing that were very much racist. I will stand against family members who have always adopted and lived under that, that sin. I will be different. That is what is required of a believer. Jesus said, if any man is not willing to pick up his cross, pick up your cross, it might be your cross, is a background of bigotry, racism, favoritism. If he won't pick up his cross and follow after me, he's not worthy of me. You have to deny yourself. You have to go the way of our master. And you have to be willing to allow God to do a work in your heart through the wonderful grace of God given to you that you might love people, all people of every color, every nation, every language, the way God loves them. I'm not going to say that that is an easy course to take, and I'm certainly not going to say that it happens in an instant. But it is a cognitive decision that reaches your heart and changes the way you think and you'll no longer be the same. You won't wink at the little jokes that are told by certain friends out of your past. You begin to see it the way God sees it, and you have a hatred towards sin the way the Lord hates racism and favoritism. It should not be among believers to continue in the course that they were raised in. We have to be changed by God. Some of you were not raised in that kind of a setting, and so you were raised by parents or a parent where you treated everybody equal. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't mean that we don't have our favorites. God says there are no favorites. There's no partiality. It should never be the case that when you're out in the community and you have the opportunity to share Jesus that you avoid certain types of people. We should be willing to share the good news, the gospel, the free gift of God with every type of person that's outside the doors of this church. Amen? 
the Jews were raised to know from Scripture that God chose the Jews over all the other people groups on the earth. In the Old Testament, this is the case. This is real. Why did God choose the Jews over everybody else? Because He wanted a nation that would make His name great among all the nations of the earth. He needed a people who would represent Him that other nations would look at and say, they have been blessed because of their God, and they would rise up and follow that God. That was the original plan of God with the nation of Israel, to be the example, the model. But Israel did not follow the Lord. They did not receive the Messiah that the Lord sent for them. And God opened the door beyond the Jews, to the Gentiles. Even in the Old Testament, there's scripture where God says, I'm going to reach the whole world. Even with Abraham himself, he told Abram in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Listen, Christian, you need to leave your past. Leave the family that wants to pull you back into racist thinking or or bigotry, or favoritism. You leave that. I'm not saying you abandon physically your family. I'm saying you leave those concepts. You no longer allow them to influence you. Now, as a believer of Jesus Christ, being salt and light in the world, you influence them. You were not called to be a thermometer. Stick the thermometer in the room to find out what the temperature is. And then adjust yourself to the temperature. No! That's the way of the world. You're called to be a thermostat. You set the temperature when you come in the, in the room. You make your relatives, you make your family, you make your employers and employee, you make your neighbors, you make your school friends have to adjust to the fact that you belong to Jesus. You're not going to drop down to that level that they're living in. This is what it's called. This is what God said to Abram. Leave your family. Leave the people. Leave the land. I'm going to do something new in you. In verse 2, he says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Why was God going to make Abraham and the nation of Israel great? That they would be a blessing to other nations. It wasn't about them. They weren't getting the blessings of God for themselves. They were being blessed by God that they might be a blessing to others. In verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the, listen, this is talking to Abraham here in the Old Testament. This is before the, the law. And he says, and you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham and the prophets had no idea what that really meant. But God knew. He knew that one day his own son would come and pay the price for the sin of mankind. Go, suffer, die, be resurrected, giving us life by the Holy Spirit living in us, regenerating us, and the church be born and the church reach all people everywhere with the gospel. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Amen? i got to ask you a question. Are you part of the plan? Have you laid down your past and picked up the cross of Christ and the identity that he's given you, a new identity that you might go into this world and share the gospel with others? Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and to the Gentile, to the Greek. So in the Old Testament, it's natural for the Jew to see himself as God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved, but God quickly turned that through Christ that you and I and anybody else on this earth that believes is God's chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Amen? Aren't you glad that God loves you the way he loved the Jews in the Old Testament? Good grief, man. I don't deserve that. That's what grace is for. And we received it. Just as God sent apostles up to Samaria when the Samaritans received the gospel from the preaching of Philip. And then the Gentiles had a similar experience when Peter showed up and 
was sharing the gospel in the home of Cornelius. And while he was sharing, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They started speaking in tongues, just like the Samaritans up in Samaria, just like the Jews on the day of Pentecost. The reason for, listen, please understand this. If you want a proper biblical exposition of tongues being used here in the first part of the book of Acts, it is for one reason, to show the Jew, the Gentile, the half-Jew, anybody and everybody, that God saves everybody the same way. No favoritism. He loves everybody. So Peter explains everything between verses 4 and 17. He shares everything in full detail. You can go back and read chapter 10 and you'll read and then read verses 4 through 17 of 11 you're reading the same stuff again it's the same exact stuff in the telling of the story that peter had we see that it took four jackhammer experiences before peter finally understood that god is not a racist and that his own religious prejudices were to be overcome by the gospel I pray that today God would use a holy jackhammer to open our eyes to see the truth of this teaching in Scripture. Here's the first blow, the first blow that God gave Peter as he explains this story between 4 and 17. It's verse 4. The first blow was the divine vision. It says, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance. I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill, eat. And I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Very proud in his religion. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. So a sheet comes down from the heavens with animals, reptiles, and birds in it, and God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's response, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. You can get the sense here of the pride welling up in Peter as he says this, because he has practiced Judaism to the nth degree, and he would think God would be proud of him for that. God's not proud any longer. Because Christ has gone to the cross, and by his death, the veil of the temple was ripped, which separated man from God. Now man has full access, and not just the Jew, but every man. God's no longer pleased with the favoritism and the, Jude and the prejudice that Peter has lived with in his life. And so now the dietary law given to the Jews is no longer in effect. Peter probably expected to hear God say, well done, Peter. You've pleased me by keeping the law. But that's not what he hears. What does he hear? What God has made clean, do not call common. You would think this would be enough to change the course of direction that Peter was on, but it wasn't. Three times the voice repeated the command to Peter, and he still was perplexed by the whole experience. That's the first blow of the jackhammer. Then the second blow of the jackhammer was the divine command, the divine vision, and now the divine command. Verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to meet or to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me, here it is, the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These are Gentiles coming to the door of a Jew. The Jew would say, get on the other side of the white picket fence. You don't belong anywhere close to my home. You're unclean. You're a dog. Get over there on the other side of the fence. But God said, do not make distinction between you, a Jew, and them being Gentiles. And then he included six brothers, six Jewish friends to accompany him. And he went with these men sent from Caesarea, and he went with them, not knowing why, other than having this perplexing vision that he can now eat anything because what God said used to be common is now made holy. Trying to put it all together. Then the third blow. 
the blow of divine preparation. Look at verse 13. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So Peter's saying, not only was God speaking to me with a vision, but he was also speaking to a Gentile at the same time. And this Gentile sent three of his men. And by the way, this particular Gentile was a Roman centurion. You talk about Jews not liking Gentiles. What do you think they thought of Romans? <laughs> That's just like, oh, man. And this is the guy who calls three of his men, one of them being a soldier, to come and take Peter. Peter's realizing, oh, my goodness, God is orchestrating this whole thing. This thing's bigger than just about me, a Jew. And he's giving insight and understanding to people who aren't Jewish. That's hitting Peter. This is a jackhammer hitting him upside the head. Just think about a jackhammer. That guy. But think about God sending this angel, and the angel's on the side of Peter's head. And Peter just. And Cornelius. God's changing everything here. Lord, send divine jackhammers into this room right now. Amen. That we would see and hear and understand what's being said. Here's a final blow of the jackhammer was the divine action as it began to speak the holy spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning so he's in the home of cornelius he starts preaching the gospel and as soon as he starts preaching all of a sudden the holy spirit comes upon all these gentiles they start speaking in tongues and i remember the word of the lord how he said john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit if then god gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? A final blow, the divine action. God gave everybody the same thing. Nobody got special treatment. The Jews did not get special treatment anymore. They got the same thing everybody else got. The Samaritans got the same thing that the Gentiles got. The Gentiles got the same thing the Jews got. Peter's saying essentially that this was the Gentile Pentecost in Caesarea. Just as we, the Jews, had our day of Pentecost and the Spirit came upon us and we spoke in tongues giving thanks to God in Caesarea, all of a sudden as the gospel's being preached, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit came upon them and now they're bringing exhortation. They're, in, they're extolling the name of God in other languages. So what do we take from this text? Well, one thing that we should take from the text is that God is building a church founded on biblical truth and on biblical unity. God does not make distinctions with his new community, the church. We shouldn't make any distinctions either. It really does break my heart to know that in Vero Beach, Florida, in Indian River County, we have white churches and we have black churches. That goes against everything that God is teaching in these three chapters. We ought to all be together. Where are the amens? The truth. No distinctions. Now, I don't think we ought to go out of our way to, for one people group. That's the way of the liberals today. We've got to even everything out. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that if you've got people in your neighborhood, whatever they are, whatever background, whatever color, whatever language, if they are in your sphere of influence, go after them. So your church should reflect the people that live around you. Amen? Well, we live everywhere from Fort Pierce to Sebastian, and one member of our church comes from Palm Bay. So Vero Bible Fellowship ought to represent all the people that live in those regions. Yeah, I heard, at the, you know, waited for about three seconds, and I heard a, hey, hey, Amen. Amen. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to hear this. And let the gospel, even after you've been saved, some of you for years, decades, let the gospel do a fresh work in you right now. That you leave this place today and you make your way over to Sam's for whatever reason. And you go in there and you see anybody and everybody and you love them the way Jesus loves them. And you don't show any favoritism anymore. It's hard. But this is the way of the Lord. This is the way of God's church. 
We don't want to do church man's way. We want to do it God's way. Even Peter would later, it's hard. Listen, later Peter even has a relapse. And for a short season, he withdraws from the church in Antioch, not having any fellowship with the Gentile believers there. It was so obvious that Paul had to call him out publicly for it. This is not easy. And when somebody falls back, when they regress, don't think that you're supposed to look at them like they never got it to begin with. Peter was saved. But Peter had to struggle, like everybody else, with coming into full agreement with God. Even the circumcision party that we read about here in the text who criticized Peter for entering a Gentile home and eating with them. Even they would later push their propaganda again, causing the council of Jerusalem, the Christian leaders of Jerusalem, to meet and settle the matter in Acts 15. We're going to be there pretty soon. Even in the early church, after salvation, it was still a struggle for many believers. The same ugly sin of discrimination has continued to stain the church down through the ages. Racism color prejudices and a separation of white churches from black churches, nationalism, my country, my right, my, my rights, better than your country, tribalism in Africa, the caste system in India, which is social and cultural snobbery. I've been to India. I've seen it. Sexism, looking down upon certain uh, women, looking at women and saying they're less than a man political systems, choosing between parties. All of these things, discriminations, they're discriminations, and they found their way into the church of Jesus Christ, and they've turned brother against brother and sister against sister. You do know that you're not always right. You have certain belief systems, certain whatever, and you're not always right. And if it would do us all well to remember that. That would probably close our mouths a little more. That we would see people the way God sees them and we would make it about the gospel and make it about the grace of God that has put joy in our hearts and let that joy pervade the church over all these ridiculous discriminations. We need to receive the same revelation as the Jews in Jerusalem who heard Peter's story. And Peter, uh, Peter said this in verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? And then look at verse 18. All the Jews, especially the ones who were of the, circum- the circumcision party, he says, when they heard these things, they felt, Luke records, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, look, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. If he gave it to us on the day of Pentecost, he gave it to the Samaritans under Philip's preaching, and he obviously gave it to the, the, the Gentiles under Peter's preaching. We have no other course but to grant love and kindness and generosity and receive these brothers and sisters of different background, different nation, different tongue into the family of God. We need to receive them the same way that God received us on the day of Pentecost. That God received the Samaritans, that God received the Gentiles. They all got it the same way from God. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose uh, over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia. Phoenicia is located at the southern tip of modern-day Israel, close to the Mediterranean Sea. And then he says, and not just Phoenicia, but also Cyprus. Cyprus is an island off the coast of Syria to the north. And Antioch That's even further north. Now listen to this. The gospel is spreading to these far-reaching areas. Antioch is 300 miles from Jerusalem. It started in Jerusalem, now it's traveling. Well, let's put that in terms today. That means that Vero Bible Fellowship in receiving the gospel becomes so overjoyed and so willing to be bold and share the gospel. 
and that we learn of a need for the gospel being preached somewhere north of Brunswick, Georgia. And we walk there to share the gospel. That's what they did. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. It doesn't even identify who these people are. They're not the, the apostles. They're just men coming from other regions who've been saved through the apostles' ministry and through the pre preaching of the gospel, and it just continues to spread. And now they go off and they, they share the gospel, and more people are getting saved in Antioch. You say, what about Antioch? What's Antioch? Well, with the exception, possibly, of Corinth, Antioch would be the most immoral city on the face of the earth at that time. In terms of importance, it was only behind Rome and Alexandria in the Roman Empire. And immorality was rampant. And that's where these Christians go and share the gospel. No partiality, no favoritism. We're going to go to anybody and everybody, and we're going to love them. In verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 20, and, but there were some of men from Cyprus, Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, they would still go to, if they were Jewish, they would go to the synagogues in these other far-reaching areas. You had to have 10 Jewish men in a village in order to establish a synagogue. And they would go to the synagogue, and there they would preach Christ through the scriptures of the Old Testament, revealing that, he, that the prophecies of Messiah were about him. And then these people would get saved, these Jews would get saved, but the Gentiles also. So they're saving Jew and Gentile. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they, they said, we were hearing of these great things happening 300 miles north up in Syria. So let's go ahead and let's send Barnabas, one of our own, up there to verify what's happening, that it's of the Lord. They did that with Philip in Samaria. They did it with Peter. As he came back, they questioned him. Now they're going to question what's happening in Antioch. So the Christian leaders in Jerusalem heard about the Gentiles coming to Christ and the Jews, and they sent Barnabas to check out what's happening. Verse 23, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he arrives in Antioch. Think about that. He, he walks all the way up to Brunswick, Georgia, and he sees these believers who are walking in the grace of God. And what does it say about Barnabas? It says, it says and he was glad. See, that's what happens when the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God falls upon people. It makes you happy. When you see other people who've received it, it makes you happy. And so now he's happy in the Lord as he arrives. In verse 23, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So he exhorts. Exhort To exhort is to encourage. That's why Barnabas is called in the Bible the son of of encouragement he encourages these new believers he doesn't encourage them to remain faithful to the law if they were jews he encourages them to walk closely with jesus mm. he pointed them to a simple and pure devotion to christ that's what second corinthians eleven three 3 says that's the theme of our church but i am afraid as the serpent deceived eve by his craftiness that you might also be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to christ the answer is not knowing more knowledge for knowledge's sake the answer is jesus believing in your heart and living by his word for he was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord as Barnabas is encouraging them in the grace that has been given. So Barnabas then seeing this great outpouring of God's Spirit and seeing people coming to Christ and knowing that they're just now new believers, there are a bunch of neophytes up there. So now what does he do? Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, looks around and sees all these Jews and Gentiles coming. And now he's like, how can we teach them more about the grace of God? And immediately he thinks, oh, 
What about Saul of Tarsus? By the way, Saul's been off the scene for seven to ten years. He left and went to Tarsus, his hometown. Who knows what God was doing in Saul while he's in Tarsus? And now Barnabas goes out seeking for him. God bless you Barnabases in our church who love to encourage others and will go out of your way to make sure that people receive solid biblical teaching. You'll share with them where they might receive solid biblical teaching. That's what he does. And verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Paul and Barnabas met with the church and taught a great many people. I want to make a final point here, and we're done. And here it is. It's very powerful. If you want to be effective in ministry, if you want to do church God's way, I want you to see this. Okay? To not understand it is to try every idea related to man to make the church work. Nothing will work in the church except God's plan. And here it is. It's beautiful. First, in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, here it is, preaching the Lord Jesus. The first thing that we see happening is the preaching of the word, the proclamation, the heralding of the good news of Jesus for salvation. Then the second thing we see in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The second point, first we preach the Lord. Secondly, we encourage new believers. It's more than just seeing a new believer get saved. We need to now encourage them, follow up with them, become a friend to them, care for them love them and they need encouragement to, to listen to encourage someone is to put courage into someone and then thirdly verse 26 latter part of the verse that we just read for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people so first we preach the lord jesus out in the community people get saved the next thing is we encourage them in that new salvation in their new walk of faith in following jesus and thirdly we teach the word to them that's the purpose of the church by the way the church is not primarily the listen this is going to go against everything you've been taught the church is not the primary place in the new testament where preaching occurred preaching occurred outside the church gathering it occurred in the communities where people needed the gospel, okay? And then after they were saved, they came into the church, they were encouraged. But they also received teaching of the word of God in the church. I grew up in a church, a great preacher. I mean, one of the best. This guy was a phenomenal preacher of the word. But we didn't have week by week, verse by verse study and teaching of the word of god we we went to church every weekend for the dessert because buddy it was good stuff but there were no beans veggies and meat that's given out every week my whole life i saw great preachers i didn't see very many great teachers the church is a place for the teaching of the word that's why we take verse by verse every week this is why we do this, because of this right here. You start with preaching to the lost, they get saved, you encourage them, and then you bring them and you teach them. And then he finishes this whole chapter, he says, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. By the way, write it down if you want, Christian literally means little Christ. When they were called Christians, that's not a positive. That's not the Christians calling each other Christians. It didn't start that way. It started with this immoral city and the people of that immoral city seeing Christians walking around, seeing these little Christ walking around. Oh, to be indicted by the world as a Christian. Why in the world the church ever wants to try to be like the world so they'll like us? I don't get that. We're supposed to stand out. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. The reason they hate me is because I declare that their deeds are evil. The church has not been given the role of being the diplomatic, tactful team that goes out and just makes friends with everybody. We're called to share the love of God with everybody in a spirit of love, 
But whether they receive it or not, we don't change the message. And we hope that they'll come to church and be taught the word of God after their salvation. Amen? Finish it out. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, so that the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So now up in Antioch, they hear about this great famine. They're concerned for Judea. And they're like, hey, let's send some... Let's send some money. Let's send whatever we have with Paul or Saul and Barnabas back down. So now these guys are going to travel by foot 300 miles back towards Jerusalem to deliver. Okay? Somebody said we make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what, by what we give. We are called by God to be great, extravagant givers. A Christian's a giver. And there's needs all around this church, right? In your neighborhood, in mine, there's people in need. Give. Reach out, give. Father, this morning we want to thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. And today, hopefully, we've learned your heart towards the peoples of the earth. We don't need to listen to these specialty groups to try to figure out the truth. They don't have the truth. They're in darkness. Why would we look to a group that's in darkness to find the truth? We look to the Word of God, which is truth, absolute truth. And we follow your heart, Lord, in this. And we come to a place where we realize as a local fellowship to have the greatest effectiveness, we need to preach, proclaim each of us every day the gospel for the purpose of salvation and then we need to take those who get saved and encourage them and then we need to place them in the body that they might be taught the word of god and grow and spiritually mature that's why you put us here that's all the worship of god that's what it is so we give you thanks and praise may each of us leave today with a different mindset continue with your jackhammer if necessary to bring us to a point of surrender in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. If you want one of those books, you can go to the back. They're on the table. Leave a little money in the box if you have it. Also, we've got uh, altar prayer partners, and we also have uh, elders that can pray with you. Come to the front. They'll be glad to assist you today. God bless each of you.